What's up guys, welcome back to the John Summer Challenge. Today is July 30th, day 30 of the John Summer Challenge, almost done. And we're in a very important passage today. John chapter 19, verses 38, all the way to chapter 20, verse 10. In yesterday's passage, we read of the horrific crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ and how all of it was according to God's plan. God was in control every step of the way. And in today's passage, we read about the most important distinction between the true God, Jesus Christ, and every other false God in this world. What's the difference? Our God, the true God, is alive. He's alive today, and that is because of the resurrection. Today, we read about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how Christ has conquered death once and for all. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And today, we will just quickly walk through this passage as John intended us to. How? By beholding the glory of God and reflecting upon the application of of his resurrection. Basically, what does the resurrection mean for us? But first, let's look at how Jesus was in complete control, not only over his death, like we learned about yesterday, but also over his burial after after dying. You know, some people will often make efforts to plan for how things will go after they die. They'll plan for their funeral. They'll let somebody know, you know, this is what I want at my funeral. This is how I want my body to be taken care of. I want it to be cremated or I want it to be buried. And um, you can ask for a casket or cremation. You can ask for a tombstone or you can ask for your ashes to be spread in the ocean. And I don't want to get into that. But, you know, there's different options and people plan these things. But no matter how much you plan, ultimately, once you die... You have no control over what happens, right? You're dead. You have no control. You have no, no, you don't even know if things went to plan, how you wanted it to go after you died. And you don't know any of that. And certainly this was the case for those who were crucified by the Romans. You definitely did not have a choice of where your body would be buried because it wouldn't be buried at all they would actually throw the crucified criminals out in the open for vultures and scavengers to eat their bodies and to serve as a warning to all people what happens to criminals. So, is this what happened to the crucified Jesus? No. Rather, God planned exactly how his son would be buried before the foundation of the world. And it was prophesied exactly how the coming Savior would be buried hundreds of years before Christ even entered into the world. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 9. It says this, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. How did a crucified man end up being buried with a rich man instead of being thrown out to the vultures? It is because this was no ordinary man. This was the God-man, Jesus Christ, 
who orchestrated all the events that would take place even after his death. Here's what happens. Jesus, even after his death, worked in the heart of the rich man named Joseph. Joseph was part of the Sanhedrin, one of the religious leaders who actually did not agree with his friend's decision to condemn Jesus and to put him to death. Joseph was a secret follower of Christ. He was a coward because he, he, he had fear over what would happen to him if people found out that he wanted to follow Christ. He would lose his power. He would lose his prestige. He would lose his position within the Sanhedrin. And so he was a coward in that respect. But God works in the heart of Joseph, and he decides to be a coward no more after Jesus dies. He builds up the courage, approaches Pilate, and asks him if he can take Jesus' body away instead of it being thrown out. Pilate agrees, and Joseph takes Jesus' body, with the help of Nicodemus, to his own tomb. Joseph and Nicodemus weren't expecting for Jesus to raise from the dead. They just wanted to honor him by giving him a proper burial. So they get together some spices. By, by modern standards, this is about 65 pounds of spices. And they use these spices to coat the linen that they would wrap Jesus in. Now this was done so that the spices would stop the smell of decay for as long as possible. And the amount of spices they used was only usually used on someone who either was a king or someone who was really wealthy or, or in a prominent position within society. They prepare all of this for Jesus and they lay his body in Joseph's own tomb. It's a new tomb which was carved out of rock and sealed by a large stone in the entrance. Now, do those lyrics from, oh, praise the name, kind of make sense now? His body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Jesus laid in that tomb, dead, for three days. Just as he had predicted in Matthew twelve forty, which says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This was true, of course, since the Jews counted any part of the day as consisting of a day. So he laid there Friday afternoon, day one, Saturday, and then part of Sunday morning. So three days he was dead. And it is on this day, today, Sunday, that our Lord would show his ultimate power over death and proving that he is God by raising from the dead. It was this day, Sunday, that eventually became known as the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day, look at Revelation 1.10, John writes, I was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. And this is where, this is why every Sunday, We'll, we'll greet each other, we'll rejoice, and we'll say, Happy Lord's Day. This is where it comes from, because it is every Sunday that we ought to remember the glorious resurrection of our Lord. It was on the first Lord's Day, first Lord's Day morning, where Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. 
Mary arrives at Jesus' tomb and sees that the stone has been rolled away. She immediately assumes the worst, that, that some grave robbers came and broke in and stole Jesus' body. So she runs away to tell Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's this? It's John. John never identifies himself in his own gospel. He never names himself, but he, he names himself or he talks about himself by saying the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so Peter and John then run to the tomb to see what happened, what, what's going on, what's Mary talking about. And I love this part. John writes about himself in John 20 verse 4. He says the two were running together and the other disciple, John, ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. It's a slight flex from John. I like that. Then they finally get there. And what do they find? An empty tomb. Jesus is gone. And they saw in verse 6, the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Now, this might seem like a minor detail, but this actually disproves any attempt to claim that Jesus' body was stolen by uh, grave robbers, like Mary thought, or by that, that his body was stolen by disciples, by the disciples, like the Jewish leaders thought or claimed. It disproves all of that. If Jesus' body was stolen by grave robbers, do you really think that the robbers would have taken their sweet time to roll up his face covering and leave it there nice and neat? No. And if the disciples had stolen Jesus's body, do you really think they would have dishonored their Lord by tearing off his grave clothes and spices and that covered his body? No, they wouldn't have done that. Of course not to both accusations. Instead, the tomb was left in a neat and orderly condition, proving that Jesus indeed was raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection is what gives us true hope today. It's our only source of hope because it was a confirmation that the Father was pleased with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that his death was indeed sufficient to cover and forgive our sins. It is only because of Jesus' resurrection that you can be saved today. His sacrifice and his resurrection, that believers in Christ can be resurrected themselves. Resurrected from their dead state to their new life in Christ. And one day, resurrected again and given new glorified bodies where we will live and worship Jesus forever in heaven. Finishing the lyrics from before, it says, And then on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. And I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Will you praise the risen Christ on this Lord's day? The resurrection changes everything. It gives us hope today that you can turn to Jesus, put your faith in him, turn away from your sins, and he will give you new life. 
your sins will be forgiven. And all of this is able to happen because of Christ's death on the cross. But he doesn't stay dead. He raises from the dead, defeats death, and gives us new life today if you would just give your life to him. So would you do that? Would you praise the Lord on this Lord's day and thank him and praise him for his glorious resurrection? Okay, that's it for today's devotional. I got three questions for you. Number one, what was left in the empty tomb that proves Jesus's body wasn't stolen by grave robbers or his disciples? Number two, why is Jesus's resurrection so important? And number three, write down from memory, John 14, verse 6. Not John 20, John 14, verse 6. That's the other verse we memorize, okay? Submit your answers to those questions and you will be done with day 30 of the John Summer Challenge. You got one day left tomorrow. I'll see you then.